Welcome back, everybody. <whistles> Excited to get another podcast under our belt. Um, thank you, Smacks. Jay, how you doing? Yeah, very well. Thank you, James. How are you doing? It feels like a, a long time since we've uh, we've done done one of these. It has been. Um, yeah, you've changed your facial hair since then. I have, yeah. I've uh, sprouted a, a moustache in aid of November and got rid of the beard and I I shaved it off and then you know everyone says I don't look you know 22 and that I, I look a lot older and stuff like that and I shaved it off and I went yeah where's this where's this double chin come from because <laughs> I, I I didn't have a double chin when I when I when I grew the beard um and then yeah so it's been um a bit of an adjusting and I you know I came down the club on Saturday and people double look you and go oh it's oh it's you like where's the rest of you gone sort of thing. Um, and, you know, you get the best the, part of you gone. Yeah. The best part of me, you know, yeah. it's uh, definitely a bit of a, you know, a character thing now. So yeah. Um, living life with a very cold face, warm upper lip, but very cold face. You look good for it. Thank you. Appreciate it. And our guest today is uh, Alex Powell. Alex, how are you? Very well. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. Very excited. Absolute, absolute pleasure. Um, just so everybody knows, um, Alex Powell, um, degree in sports and exercise science, um, uh, just finishing her sports psychology, apologies for that noise, sports psychology um, training, um, founder of the Achieving Mind, um, which if anybody wants to go to, it's uh, you can find that on www.theachievingmind.co.uk. Um, and also uh, she's a mental health and well-being coach as well as a former Wasps and Exeter Chief uh, rugby player. Does that about uh, cover you as a title? I think so, just about, yeah. <laughs> well, it's lovely to have you on the, the programme. Anyway, really looking forward to getting to talk to you, especially around the psychology side of things. But I think we'll kick off um, with a bit of a warm-up, as we do. Some fantastic rugby, international rugby has been being played. Um, I did put a note down, seeing as we all became slight Italy fans off of the back of the Six Nations that beating Samoa and then Australia and then facing South Africa this mm. weekend is going to be a real interesting mm. test for them. Italy by 50, surely. <laughs> Let's hope. Um, and of course, the Red Roses lost, lost to the Black Ferns mm. um, in the World Cup. Um, all congratulations to the Black Ferns. What an incredible team, but devastating for the red roses to yeah. to you know they put in such a an effort um just in those just in those last few minutes mm. it was so tantalizingly close yeah i you know i saw alex the the week before and it was the day of the the semi final and um we um you know were surprised actually how close canada came to the red roses and stuff like that and and then woke up super early i was absolutely buzzing for this because i but <laughs> had the exact same feeling on on Saturday that I did in 2019 in this very clubhouse. Um, I was so unbelievably arrogant that we were going to win in 2019 and, and on Saturday. Um, and I was just, you know, thinking about, yeah, obviously it'd be great for them, but the knock-on effect of what it will do for, for the Red Roses to, to win a World Cup. And um, yeah, I found it, it was quite tough, actually. You know, you, you'd mm. sort of see like... Uh, you know, the interview with Sarah Hunter after the game and that, and, you know, 
you know, feel, feel yourself well enough and that, and you, you feel for them massively because not everybody thought they were going to do it and do it very, very easily. Um, it was that sort of that sort of feel to it, and it didn't even cross didn't even cross my mind once that we'd not win. Um, and you know, you, you you can analyze the hell out of that game, and I actually, you know, I'm going to do a bit of um for my coaching award, a bit of a piece around the game and um sort of analyze it and stuff. And you know, there's some big big moments in that game, um, and actually in I sort of like had to check myself a bit because at the final whistle I went, my God, you know, how did they lose that? You know, they were so, so close. And if this had happened, if that had happened, but then actually you got to remember they were playing the majority of that game with 14 players. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to actually come that close in a World Cup final against New Zealand with 14 players is actually an achievement in itself, yeah. um, especially in a key position on the wing, because no matter what people say, you look at, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, if everything had happened other than the red card, England would have won that game because New Zealand scored two really good tries in the hole where where the defender should have been. It's yeah, it was um yeah, tough tough result for them, but you know, that's sport, isn't it? And I really liked, you know, Sarah Hunter's interview after the game and the stuff she was saying and that I was really massively impressed with it. It was real, wasn't it? That yeah. the post it raw. I think the fact that she started the interview with it's gutted a lot of respect for her just saying exactly how she felt and had the yeah. courage to do so. And like you said, Jay, I think the fact that for over an hour of the fixture, mm. they they cope with that adversity of going 14 players down is phenomenal. Mm. And I think even prior to that, you know, they lost three dominant uh, oh, players. Yeah. Yeah, the nine, yeah. front row, um, Helena Rowland. So yeah. I think also reflecting on it personally, that was testament as to how much depth and mm. quality, obviously, within the squad as well, that they could then adjust accordingly. Mm. Alex, if you were coach, would you have taken Sarah Hunter off at half time? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't coach, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, at that point, he, you know, in terms of each player bringing something different, a different strength, a different quality, you know, he felt at that time it was the right decision. Yeah. You know, and they, Emily Scarrett obviously went in to then be captain mm. with a whole magnitude of experience and they mm. wanted to change change their dynamic. And we're talking three points. It could have gone either way, yeah. like you said, yeah. James, in that last minute. Yeah, literally, if that, if it hadn't been for that um, that final line out not going the way they wanted to, mm. we'd have been having a completely different conversation oh, and no. saying what genius to take. Sarah Hunter off and, yeah. and managed to survive that and win with you yeah. know it's but like you say it's it's the way sports go but mm. fair play to fair play to them fair play to the Black Ferns mm. who uh, just a staggering team really mm. are a staggering team uh, and, well. and actually like some of the interviews with you know sort of I watched all the the aftermatch stuff and um, the match reaction and that and you know you've got a lot of people you know that were quite like a lot of the pundits were quite emotional and stuff like that and it was quite hard hitting for everybody but then you sort of flip it and you listen to some of the interviews that um some of the uh the kiwi girls gave and stuff like that it was just for them like it was very hard not to feel very happy for them because you know it meant so so much to them but also like do you know, I think you've had your go? You've won it like six times. And <laughs> then, hey, 2025, Jay. <laughs> I know, I know. This is the thing, isn't it? And um, yeah, I yeah, it was a great, great game, great spectacle. And a lot of people that and what was great as well, that will grow the game massively, obviously, in a sort of like 
overall sort of sense, maybe not as a direct result of, you know, you look at, you know, you look at the analyzer, you know, the what the RFU would have given to the female game if like it had gone our way and how much stuff they would have got out of it and the knock-on effect of winning a World Cup in the money sort of sense in, I mean, let's be honest, the game it is not in a great place at the moment. The knock-on effect of that, that was the bit that hit me hard, was like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that could have done a lot of good. Mm-hmm. A, lot, a lot of good. Um, but it is what it is, isn't it? You know, we can analyse it. There's nothing I we think, can do about it yeah. now. Also, Jay, like you said, it it was a spectacle. I'm we what an exciting game from start to finish. Everyone was absolutely hooked, captivated, and you know, you mentioned in terms of the impact moving forwards, the amount of young girls and girls maybe who've hung up the boots who are then inspired to get back into it is amazing. And things such as, you know, for the first time, bus stops, the posters in bus stops. Yes, yeah. Of being how powerful and how, you know, that we talk about things becoming a dream, you know, you can't be it unless you see it. You know, that's everyone now mm. seeing female rugby players all around, all around the country and it being real mm. and not being a dream to be a professional. It's happening. With regards to the money, you were saying, obviously, the money coming at the club, the, um, the men's game uh, premiership struggling at the moment. As we know, mm. obviously, you were at Wasps for a while. Mm. Um, they're going through their um the trying to do their best to try and keep the club afloat but the the women's side at wasps been separated from that have, have you yeah. heard how that's surviving is it is it are they struggling or is it that different that they're actually doing doing okay to be completely transparent i'm not entirely sure james like you did say that they are fortunately separate in terms of sort of um the funding and, and the financial support and i do know that wasp women did have support sort of in, in place in terms of how things are currently uh, and the nitty gritty i'm not i'm not aware of um all we can do is hope hmm. um and you know it's it's a phenomenal club i was there six six seasons um and you know it's it's a huge part of a lot of people's lives and identity so hopefully that support and those resources are in place to help the women moving forwards I think then we crack on our first yeah, half. Yeah. Um, as everybody that listens in knows, the first half is um, basically just getting to know you some more, Alex. Um, as I say, you know your professional life at the moment is uh, linked, perhaps led on from your uh, playing career. But before Wasps, where did rugby start for you? So actually... Um... I didn't get into rugby until I was about 22. It was actually quite late. Um, but to be honest with you, James, like, sport has always been a part of my life, uh, you know, ever since Tiny Top and loads of different sports, uh, hockey, cross-country, squash. Um, I did a lot of windsurfing uh, back in the day. And so um, nice. I went to Exeter Union. There was a phenomenal windsurfing club um, and did quite a lot of competing in, in the students uh, network at the time and then that led on to actually some sort of commercial sponsorship and ended up competing on the British Wave Tour um, but in 2012 ended up losing a bit of a cat's life and ended up getting rescued by the RLLI which looking back in hindsight I should have absolutely gone to go and see a sports psychologist because um, that was like a really exciting time in my sort of windsurfing career 
Um, and funny enough, getting caught out in pretty much a hurricane um, and having to get rescued didn't do wonders for the old confidence. Yeah. Um, so that that took quite some um, time and, and work to kind of regain that confidence and get back on the water. Mm. Um, and then I guess, sort of, you know, in terms of when I started playing rugby, um, started actually after quite a difficult personal life event. Mm. Um, I'd always wanted to play rugby. I just never had the opportunity sort of growing up and in school and everything until I was at university. Um, Is that because of no clubs or just because? At the time, um, yeah, really, really limited. Mm. Um, Sort of in in Somerset, obviously now it was great. Obviously that's completely changed. But I didn't have access until I was at uni for the first time. Um, And I lived with Amber Reid, who has obviously got a number of caps for, for England. And she'd always said, Alex, you really need to give it a go, give it a go. And then in 2013, I completely unexpectedly lost my mum she had a um, underlying heart disease which we never knew about mm. and that's when I started playing rugby um, and so I've always personally sort of described my rugby journey as being that lighthouse of hope because mm. during an incredibly difficult time in my life it gave that di- direction it gave that focus um, and we know that, you know, when it comes to grief, there's a whole magnitude of different emotions. There's pain, um, denial, anger. And for me, rugby was a way of harnessing that all and using it as a as a, constru- a constructive fuel is mm. probably how I'd say it. Mm. So, yeah, so 2013, age 22, um, that's when the good old rugby journey started, really. Wow. And what university was that at? That was Exeter. Exeter Uni, yeah. 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 And the um, the programme was phenomenal. Joe Yap, uh, who then went on to be under-20s head coach, and Worcester Warriors women's head coach, so supportive and, and was very, very grateful for her sort of vision and her encouragement and support when I started up, um, as well as the sort of facilities at the university, really helped facilitate and harness people's potential, which definitely made a difference. Mm-hmm. So where did you get picked up then by wasps? So I um, somehow, uh, <laughs> from picking the ball, rugby ball up for the first time, fast track seven months, um, ended up getting invited to go into sort of divisional setups. At the time, it was sort of north, midlands, southwest, southeast. Had no idea what I was doing, to be totally honest with you, but uh, ended up going to the camp and, and loved it. For some bizarre reason, they invited me to go back to the next one. Um, so that was for the first first season. Moved out to Australia just to kind of reform with my dad and sister after obviously everything had happened with my mum. And I was out there for about seven months and I had this real itch at the back of my head to be like, hmm, I really wonder where the rugby could go. Mm. And I came back and that's when I then joined, joined Wasps in 2015. And I think it, I've been playing at Wasps for... A season, and that's when uh, England's sort of the National Academy then sort of approached me um, and invited me to go to the Canada camp. So that sense of. And what position were you playing? Second row, always through and through. Best position. Yeah. Best position. Six foot and pretty lanky. Didn't have much choice in that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm six foot and pretty lanky myself. Well, just over. 
maybe I, not so lanky. I think I'm what, what am I now? Six foot six. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and phenomenal number eight. Just, Absolutely. Yeah, just do so. You've well. grown. I think you've grown a few inches since I saw you last. Then. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> maybe it's the facial hair. Mm, it was grown a foot. So, how did the Canada camp go for you then? Oh, what an amazing, amazing experience, Blimey. Um I tell you what, in, the amount of lessons learned were incredible. And, and I think I was quite realistic with myself at the time to know that my knowledge was quite limited in playing, what, just over two seasons, two, three seasons. So it was really important. I kind of focused on the things which I, I knew I was bringing to the party, so to speak. Um Learned a lot about anxiety myself and how it manifests. Yeah. I remember, blimey, we, we were in camp and vividly, vividly that breakfast of the first game. Oh, the, those waves of nausea were coming through and having to say to myself, Alex, you've got to eat this because otherwise you're going to have no fuel yeah. to go and play later. Um, and it was, it was amazing just to be in that elite environment and... I realised at that level of sport, I absolutely loved. Mm. And that that pressure, um, the expectations, and I just – and that's why I then wanted to push and, mm. and sort of um, move on from that. And I think it, the next of three seasons or so uh, was sort of involved in some of the Six, Na- Six Nations squads um, and was fortunate enough to play against Spain um, – and and South Africa and interestingly there was a, a chap who delivered a sports psychology session um and I remember thinking god this is so interesting this is so interesting but some of the others thinking was kind of like drying paint um and right. I remember thinking this is so captivating but it could be delivered in such a way which is really interactive mm. and at that time uh, I was working in sports events and it was really challenging trying to balance sporting training commitments alongside being at skiing and snowboarding events which I was doing as a career it just wasn't it wasn't sustainable and the rugby was taking number one priority and that's when I thought hang on a second going from events to sports psychology and and pursuing that is where I want to go so you weren't studying it whilst when you started playing rugby then no, so I, you know, absolutely not. So when I first started playing rugby, I was working in sports events. And then as my sort of rugby journey grew, my interest in sports psychology kind of grew alongside it mm. as well. And then um, 20, sort of 16, 2017, I then decided to go back and, and start my training as a sports psychologist. Mm. Um, and things were moving. Things were really, really exciting in terms of the rugby. Um, I've been involved in the sort of uh, England academy for about three seasons or so um and we had a camp against south africa in 2017 and unfortunately probably like the most prosperous time then had a whopping great knee injury um and completely blew out acl mcl and and meniscus so that threw a bit of a spanner in the old works (laughs) ouch yeah not not too fun touch wood that is my my biggest fear is a knee injury it it is my biggest biggest fear i when I was like playing at school, this this lad's leg went in a in a ruck, and it literally sounded like someone had been shot. And I was like, "Yeah, no, I'm really, really hope I never ever have a knee injury." But then uh, everything from the hip up, I've destroyed my body in the in the upper bit. But you know, I've broken my ankle once, but that's it. But honestly, fair play to you for 
for coming back from something like that because that was a that's a that's a big old injury. So how how long did it take you to recover from that? Uh, it was to be exact, four hundred and fifty one days. Not that I was counting or anything. <laughs> and how helpful, you know, how did you do it then? Was it in a tackle or you won't guess this one, but it was in a line out. Oh wow. Yeah, so um shot up, got the ball, came down and got sacked. And um, wow. and basically my foot just didn't leave leave the ground. And the hardest thing was, as I remember it, and my poor dad must have been about five meters away, so we saw everything. Um, and I got carried into the, the medical room. Mm. And the, the doctor who looked at it said, I think it's okay, I think it's okay. And there was this moment, and I was lying on the bed, and I think, right, Alex, you've got a phenomenal opportunity here, and you need to make the most out of it. Are you are you jeopardizing that, or have you actually really really hurt yourself? And I remember standing up and thinking, why on earth is the medical room floor not flat? Of course, it was flat. It's just I had no knee <laughs> stability. And um, and the physio then came in and she said, yeah, absolutely. It just it just ballooned. She said, Alex, you've got to lie down. You need to go to hospital. And then, yeah. funny enough, it it wasn't okay. Surgery. Yeah. So. Um, hamstring graft from my perfectly fine leg actually so I've got matching scars but because it was so uh, scarred and thickened you had to take my graft from my other leg yeah so Sam um Sam Cloud has had that done as well he's had his um oh really he replaced with his hamstring as well so it's um quite a quite a big one but so then so then what was next for you after after the injury when you when you recovered yeah I mean <laughs> I think it was it, in the sense that I'd obviously restarted my training as a sports psychologist, I think was a bit of a, a saving grace, to mm. be honest with you, because what I then, you know, in, in terms of going through that year and, and two months, what I then did is place all my focus on on my qualifications um, and my education and definitely having that as an outlet. So all those traits which all rugby players possess in terms of competitiveness and, and drive and determination – I just flung it at my degrees um, and became an absolute geek. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, in terms of resilience, there's a chap called Dr. Uh, Mustafa Saka, who has done loads of research around resilience. And one of the things he says to help develop resilience is personal development. Mm. You know, so skills and competencies away from the sporting setting. And then actually during that year and then come 2018 is then when I then launched the Achieving Minds and so there was this kind of like transition already starting there from sort of playing to now we're kind of like looking at a slightly different role within rugby Um, and that has then just grown and grown since 2018 really. In 2018 you founded the Achieving Mind? Yes that's right. That's really good. Tell, tell us about that. So for somebody who's never heard about the, the stuff that you've done with the Achieving Mind and that, tell us tell us everything. Tell us. No <laughs> pressure, hey? <laughs> um, so the Achieving Mind is a sports psychology consultancy business. So very simply put, as a, as a sports psychologist, it is our, our role to help optimise athletes' well-being and, and performance. So we look at lots of different psychological factors which might be impacting both well-being and performance we'll look at the links between emotions thoughts 
behavior or within that that sporting sporting context and and simply put you know optimal performance you know if you just focus on the the physical the tactical technical aspects of sports and you neglect the mental side Mm. you're not going to thrive you're not going to optimize your performance so that's where this role of sports psychology comes into place and just through the achieving mind will uh work with clubs work with athletes on a one-to-one basis parents coaches Mm. charities yeah quite a a broad spectrum Mm. wow okay um so and then when you're like working with somebody how long is that sort of program is it you know is it six weeks is it for as long as they need or it's a really good question, Jay. It, to be honest with you, it completely depends on what the athletes or the, or the clients' needs are. You know, that's kind of how I how I work. Um, very sort of flexible around that uh, because as people, we need different things at different times in our lives, mm. don't we? Um, you know, it depends if we've been working with a club. Sometimes we'll put a, a program in place at different times of a season, but on a one-to-one basis, you know, it depends if they got tournaments or competitions coming up um depends on their availability so and it's really how, quite... how, how much of it is people seeking you out or clubs and organizations saying alex we've got this you know we've got player x they really need some help it's a mixture mm. and what's what i've definitely noticed which is great um especially obviously within the rugby world land is that clubs obviously now really valuing the impact which sports psychology can have for their clubs so there's so many more teams clubs now which are employing sports psychologists or encouraging their athletes to engage that form of support and there's that great quote from dan carter which i think if i remember correctly goes along the lines of when he first started playing that if someone went to a sports psychologist there was something wrong now if you're not going to a sports psychologist, there's something, something wrong. wrong. Yeah, which is great, which is really, really, really great. We had um, on our last podcast, we had Professor Adam Nickel, who's a sports psychologist. Um, and he said that he'd come up against resistance from coaches to get sports psychologists involved. Is that something you've experienced? I think people's understanding and view towards sports psychology is very, very different. Mm. So if, it is met, if it's met with question marks or a bit of hostility, brilliant how exciting is an opportunity to then explain to someone the benefits and the huge amount of impacts it can have on someone. Um, And, you know, there's a big shift, isn't there, which we're seeing in relation to understanding mental health, well-being, psychological support. um, And it's certainly heading in the right, right moods of direction, but there are misconceptions and there are different beliefs around that. And that's part of our roles to help spread the word and spread the understanding of sports psychology. Mm, that's really interesting because you work a lot with the NHS as well, don't you? Yeah. So I um, when I moved down to Exeter uh, in 2020, started playing for Chiefs, and I then got a job in the NHS working in a mental health crisis team as a as a psychological practitioner. So I was there sort of two years or so, and then the last seven months um, started a, a new role as a mental health and wellbeing coach, which is it's been phenomenal, um, and it's all about supporting people sort of addressing well-being needs but taking proactive steps forward mm. in that sense of self-management you know learning developing our, our coping techniques our, our toolkits so to speak 
and people having the time and space to be able to explore that and be supported in doing so. And it's all transferable. Mm. You know, all, all, they're all things which we can use on a rugby pitch and in day-to-day life. Um, I've got a big sort of approach towards that, most certainly. And I, because you've played it, because um, how long were you at Exeter for? Season two? So season? it was my final, yes, yeah, the final season of, of playing. So 2020 to 2021. Yeah. And and how was that, the transition from from Wasps to Exeter? Everywhere's different, as, as we know, clubs-wise. Moving into somewhere, starting a new career, um, helping the NHS at a new club. Was that an easy transition for you to to go through? Was it something that was exciting for you? Did it help you? or It was incredibly exciting. And in, in different ways, you know, I had an amazing time at Wasps, like six incredible seasons, loads of, loads of great memories. At the time, obviously 2020 was with the pandemic, and I had to be honest with myself in the type of environment where I was going to be happiest and wanted to live um i'm obviously a bit of a water baby and london is uh despite the lovely thames <laughs> not particularly close to the sea um twin surfing to be done in the thames yeah yeah not too great hey um and fortunately was given the opportunity to, to have a contract at chiefs and it was very very obviously different you know chiefs did an amazing thing at having players from all around the world which is very very special so everyone was bringing their own sort of vision and their own culture in. It was really felt very grateful to be part of that first, that inaugural season, you know, to be helping kind of navigate that, that new club. Um, you know, it was the first time obviously women's section had been integrated within, within Chiefs and the support from the men was, was amazing. Yeah. It was great. really, really good. good. And, and the promotion of, of the women's game, um, the men's coaches coming, doing some specialist sessions with us as well. Things such as social media, it all adds up and it all makes a difference in terms of, you know, exposure. Mm. I think the challenge I found personally is the way in which the women's game was going and the expectations and what was needed to um, be delivered on, such as training, you know, nutrition, your, your analysis, your, you, you name it. My journey in terms of the NHS and, and sports psychology was going in such an exciting direction that it didn't allow me necessarily the time to be able to commit to rugby, which I'd be able to do and I wanted to do previously. So I had to have that quite challenging, honest conversation with myself. And I think what probably started this, planted the seed was uh, in the crisis team, I do night shifts for two weeks every three weeks. And uh, this donut thought it'd be appropriate to, to finish two weeks of nights and then go and try and train that evening. Well, you can probably only imagine how well that went and snap goes a hip flexor. So, uh, <laughs> oh, no. yeah, that wasn't too cool. Um, but, you know, it was a bit of a tipping point to think, actually, how sustainable is this? You know, um, I'm having to be honest with myself. And I think, like I said earlier on, I absolutely loved playing at that level. Yeah. You know, that's why I was playing and I couldn't give it what it needed um, because I was investing that energy and, and commitment in a new exciting chapter in my life. Yes. And so it was a bit of acceptance around that. Was that a positive feeling or did you struggle with that? I think a bit of 
both. James, you know, I I knew it was the right thing for me. Don't get me wrong. Every time I see a game of rugby, I always, always think, ah, I can still be playing. God, I miss those games. I miss, you know, like the post-match celebrations with your mates. I miss the tackles out of everything and the lineouts. But it was the right time. And I kind of said I wanted to end on a high. Um, and I felt very, very fortunate and grateful that I could end it on that on that note. Um, whereas a lot of people don't have that choice, yeah. you know, through, through injury or various other things. Um, and it was, and that was the difference. It was a choice. Mm. So I felt very empowered to make that, make that decision. Oh, that's good. That's really good. So for, uh, for someone that doesn't understand sort of the, um, the sort of like levels that you're at. So talk us through, so you were at uni, and then uh, you were a professional club. And then uh, talk to us at what level you were then at with England and in the sort of scale of things. Okay. Uh, so started off X to uni. So that was within Bucks. So that's like the, it was at the top league of um, rugby within the university sort of set up. Then from that, uh, it was divisional. So represented the Southwest of England in that first season of, of playing and then after that then started playing wasps and that was the women's premiership mm-hmm. so um highest level obviously of, of women's rugby win in the uk mm-hmm. six six seasons there and then within my second season then got invited to go into england national academy and then from there was a member of uh, the six nations training squad for a couple sort of seasons um, and sort of was in that sort of bracket, so to speak. Um, and then from that squad, they were then selecting EPS, as it used to be called. Um, so it was like sort of performance squad. And that's when bang, my knee went. <laughs> and then um, and then once, like you said, sort of got back uh, to playing, then was playing for Exeter Chiefs, which was then semi-professional. In that, in the um, women's top league again. Cool, thank you. I think you know, for actually, for you know, for you know, girls that listen to this, and for you know, people, it's a really good understanding to have of where you can go from, and actually, that it's never too late. Like you said, you know, you'd gone to university, and that was the first time you you know, gone and played rugby. That it is never ever too late. Um, and I yeah, love that. So thank you. That's good clarity. It, it is interesting, though, because you speak to so many people today that, you know, that have played rugby, um, you know, youngsters played up through their 20s. Um, and and they kind of say, oh, well, you know, I'm 21, 22 now, so I'm going to kind of ease off. And and I fully get it because, you know, I, I think I played up till sort of my mid-20s. Um, broke my collarbone and and back in those days you know there was no sick pay or anything like that so I just couldn't afford to just mm. have that chance of that happening again I'm not talking at, at any particular level this is just local club level um, but to, to speak to someone like yourself that didn't start playing until their early 20s and still achieved something it, mm. it just shows what's cap- uh, what's yeah. what is achievable and of course then what's come on from that with your you know the Achieving Mind um, career which yeah, really, really cool. Mm, massively. I think we'll talk a bit more about that in the second half. I think yeah, probably 100%. quite a good point to, to stop on. But yeah. um, um, so 
halftime, we are obviously wanting to promote grassroots rugby all over. So if you have uh, any announcements and you're listening and uh, want your club announced or uh, trying to raise you know, awareness or um, get some, uh, some uh, support and sponsorship for youth and grassroots rugby, please give us a ring. Uh, or an email or whatever on at Be More Rugby or info at Be More Rugby or however you want to contact us, get in touch. Um, we'll be happy to promote. Um, but uh, this weekend is uh, this half time today. As everybody can see, Jay is sporting his lovely new Tash in aid of Movember. Um, Jay, do you want to give us a, an idea as to where people can help sponsor your? I want to reference. Um, Baldrick Slug, but not many people listening will probably know what that means. Yeah, sorry, who? Yeah, exactly. So, an old comment there. Um, yeah, so Movember uh, this year for me is a is a big one for a lot of stuff that's happened uh, to people close around me and stuff like that over the uh, the pandemic. Um, so, there's a real Movember are really really working hard on uh, the mental health sort of side of it this time. Um, and for that, I am running 60K uh, this November and also growing out this awesome Tash. Um, if you would like to donate to my Movember page or just Movember in general, um, you can actually click on the link in my Instagram bio. And my Instagram is jstokes6. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> definitely should have done some prep for that. Um, but we can... Uh, uh, but if not, if you can't find my Instagram, um, please feel free to go and donate to anyone else that you know is doing Movember because honestly, you know, they do a lot of, a lot of great work and, um, you know, they, they desperately, desperately want to keep making a big difference. And I know how difficult and tight things are at the moment with, uh, the stuff that's going on in the world. So if you can't give money, just go and speak to people, raise awareness about it, um, and do good. Desperately just trying to find your Instagram, J Stokes. Yeah, J Stokes six. J Stokes six. Yeah, there you go. Should have gone with my heart. Well done, me. Brilliant. Um, yeah, get behind it. What a great, um, what a great uh, charity. Uh, so, second half, Alex. This is where we like to talk to our guests about um, what you've got from rugby, how it's helped you in your personal lives. You've already touched on it in the first half. Um, really excited to um, to find out a bit more about your um, achieving mind stuff as well. But uh, I'd like to start the second half off by asking you, what does rugby mean to you? What does rugby mean to me? At one time, it was that lighthouse. We spoke about that that lighthouse of hope. But I think the one thing which I'm sure many of us is family. Mm. That's the word which brings to mind above above everything. Um, family on and away from the pitch. You know, Jay, you just mentioning about you know the hardship for people in the last few years in the pandemic and the massive impact that's had in terms of of loneliness and, and isolation. And you know, I know personally that the clubhouse at Wasps for all those seasons and the camaraderie with your teammates it, it's connection. Mm. And that's such an important thing for so many people who play rugby and support rugby and, and the parents and the coaches and, and the friends who come and join. And so that's, in response to your question, I'd probably say it's family. No, amazing. 
great answer that one and to be honest with you that comes up all the time on the podcast everybody talks about family so no really good and you mentioned the lighthouse of hope can you elaborate a bit more i know it was we all know what a lighthouse is but can you talk us a bit more bit more about why you use that phrase yeah um I guess the kind of the meaning behind it for me is that, you know, within incredibly dark times where maybe you can't see a huge amount, that it was portraying that sense of light, which I wanted to head towards. And sometimes stories, metaphors, looking at things in that kind of lens can help bring things to life. Um, and there were so many exciting, positive things which were happening within that environment that I wanted to work towards and it kind of acted like that compass it's a bit like values and values being kind of described as as lighthouses as well in giving us that sense of direction that sense of focus um, and that can you know be hugely impactful when it comes to challenging times in life and I think it just really instilled in me the power which sport especially rugby can have in all of us and all of our well-being no, I like that. I know I've looked into um, uh, a lot about the um, the uh, positive emotion you get when you're traveling towards a goal uh, or a purpose, uh, the the dopamine system that, that gives you that motivation to keep going. And um, like when you've got the rugby ball and you can see the try line and you're going for it, there's, you know, there's the, the euphoria and, and it gives you that little bit more to keep going even when you think the tanks are all dry or you know or you just you can't make it when you've got that something to aim for and like you say if i've if i've got the timings right you are actually going somewhere with your rugby career it you had goals within rugby at the time to to achieve Mm -hmm. so um yeah i love that i love that a lot I like to say I scored a few tries and my mates listen to that would absolutely laugh. I think James, I must've scored about a handful of tries in eight seasons of playing, but you know, <laughs> I know it's a second row. That's not, yeah, your but, I was uh, gonna say. yeah no, I get it. <laughs> Alex, I want to, I want to speak to you a bit more about the, uh, and go a bit deeper into the, the psychological stuff of bouncing back from your, your injury. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, lads that I play with, the lads that I coach and people that I've, you know, worked with that have had an injury and because rugby is literally everything to them is they're only out there, have really, really massively struggled when that's taken away from them. Um, speaking from, you know, a, a personal experience, I, you know, when I did my eye, I replaced playing with coaching. I genuinely, genuinely don't know what I would have done if I hadn't replaced replace something with a like for like because I would have really massively massively struggled I know you know I can you know I notice a difference in myself you know over over the summer and stuff you know you know it was a big part of you know why I started playing uh, like league and stuff like that in the summer for the the county giants and stuff because I really need to be in that environment to be honest with you 365 days I need to be in it all the time for myself I know that's how I operate um how what advice would you give to people and what coping mechanisms would you give if, you know, if say coaching wasn't an option, if there wasn't a replacement uh, available, what can you do within your own mind to, to sort yourself out when you're struggling with an injury? 
Yeah, I think um, it's, for starters, Jay, it's a really, really good question because unfortunately, you know, injury does happen in sport. I think it's something which you can focus on before it gets to that point. Mm. Um, and, you, you know, you mentioned how the rugby club is, is hugely important to who you are as a person. And actually, you know, I think we can all relate to having that really strong athletic identity, especially when it comes to rugby. Mm. I think what I tend to sort of, um, advise and encourage within athletes is actually understanding that's a huge part and part of who you are yeah. but also exploring other options and other interests in addition so that if like you said a situation were to arise where you can't partake you can't train you can't play which is so difficult mm. you've got other pots of interests or or confidence or positive emotions experience and that can be slowly worked on rather than it being reactive to the injury. Um, but if we you know, go down to the line of what can you do following an injury, one, engaging with that support network yeah. because it can be so isolating being injured. Yeah. Can't it? You know, it, it's, it's horrific. There's so many emotions which, which go with, with, when you come with injury. And I know that personally... There were two people when I was coming back from my knee injury who made a massive difference. One being Nolly, so like Danielle Waterman, and one being Giselle Mather, who was our, our coach at Wasps. And the reason why they had such a huge impact is because they'd both been there and they could relate. And so that sense of connection and support was so real and so profound. It made such a difference. And I think finding people who you can kind of have be those rehab buddies with or you can just have those honest conversations and feel safe to really helps with still feeling part of that club or that team um if you know there aren't other sort of volunteering options or or ways of being being involved mm. do you think there's a sense when you can speak to somebody that understands what you're going through because they've got the experience there um do you think there's a sense of well, they've achieved it. They've got through. They're, you know, they've they've survived. There's no reason I can. Yeah, I mean, one of the when it when you look at self-efficacy, so you know our our beliefs around being able to achieve a task and our ability to achieve tasks. One of the main sources of self-efficacy is vicarious experiences. So, seeing others perform through sustained effort so just like you said James when actually we see people who we can relate to if that's a teammate if that's someone of the same sex for example of a similar age and for them putting in you know persistency and, and hard work and they then get back on the pitch naturally that then spikes your own belief that you can do that so absolutely yeah no, that's cool I know um Jay knows my son Daniel um he dislocated his hip at county trials uh, three, two, three years, three years right at the ago. beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and um, was looking at, obviously, he missed out on, on the county. Um, was looking at um, quite a lot of rugby missed. Um, and he went, we then went into the pandemic and lockdown and all the rest of it. So he ended up kind of by default, everybody was in the same boat as he was. Mm -hmm. But his, his dedication to his physio, um, you know, he was having a physio from a fantastic guy uh, called Ben at 
performance clinics um, in Pool. I recommend anybody going and seeing him if you can. Um, he was doing Zoom physio with him, and I was having to hold the phone whilst you know whilst he was on the floor doing all his physio <laughs> stuff. And Ben was just you know I was just cameraman if you like. Um, but he was so dedicated. But I think it would have been more difficult for him if there hadn't been a, a pandemic and he'd have been going and, and watching everybody else go out and, and play rugby when he couldn't. Whereas actually the scenario was nobody could go and play rugby. So in the end, he missed two games of rugby. That was all mm. um, through, a, you know, through a, I think it was nine months um, recovery or whatever it was. But when you're in that situation and you stood on the sideline and as, as you've been, do you think it's more difficult to watch everybody else playing than you can't, or do you think it's um, do you think it's something that spurs you on to go and 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 recover quicker, or it's how you use it, isn't it? Mm. And it's how you look at it, um, and and it can go both ways. I remember vividly that we used to have it was called the Big Swarm, so it was great. So it'd be like a local uh, local derby at Wasps. I remember there being like a tear in my eye when I was watching supporting the girls. But I'd be lying if I, I said that I, you know, it hurt and I want to be on the pitch. Of course I did. But I guess with, with mindset and, and the way looking at any form of challenge in life, it's using those setbacks to kind of fuel that motivation. You know, how, how do we frame it? Do we see it? Do we see it as a challenge or do we see it as a threat? Yeah. And actually, as you mentioned just then about, about your son and the value and the impact of goal setting and slightly sort of backtracking Jade, to your question. There's so much benefit. And if you are out and a sustained an injury, spending the time to set some smarter goals, but then by doing so and working your way through them, again, it gives you that focus, but it helps lift your motivation. It helps lift your confidence. It's uh, encompasses everything when there's things which you can't control or out of your hands. But it's a good way of controlling on the controllables. Interesting, because that's one of the things that I've I've always banged on to to Daniel, my son, is is about control. Because as a youngster, he was he probably still is a little bit um, uh, too much energy, if you like. Um, and it was going to London Irish DPP um, after me banging on to him about control for so long, um, and seeing on their on their DPP when they sat down and talked to them about through the trials positive, passionate, relentless discipline. And he just looked at me as if to say, yeah, that's what it's about. It's about being in control of yourself and what you want to achieve. So when he, when he was going through his rehab, I just kept on to him. You know, this is about what you're in control of. You're not in control of anything else. People can go and play rugby. You might miss games. Things will happen. But you're in control right now of mm-hmm. as to what you can do to, to get yourself back again. Mm-hmm. And help navigate yourself through that really challenging time. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So what advice would you have to youngsters that are thinking about getting into rugby? Seeing as you got into it late. Just get on with it. You know, that's the exciting bit. The, The process of, I think the RFU have just launched a way you can find your local rugby club. Yes, yeah. and what we we touched upon it earlier on, but the great thing is they're popping up 
everywhere. And I think especially following, you know, the final last weekend, there's going to be even more locations now which think there's such potential to get a club going. So absolutely, don't even hesitate. Just find your local club, get a pair of boots, get a mouth guard and just go and enjoy it. You know, because that's how you learn is by getting on with it. And the le- the lessons learned, the mistakes, that's all part of the wonderful game of rugby. Mm. Yeah, that's how you're growing. So what's the, big, what's the biggest lesson you've learned? What's the biggest? Through rugby. <laughs> Don't be offside. <laughs> 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 no high tackles. There are two which always happen. Um, and learn the laws. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but low low tackles and try and be onside because it was a bit of a shocker for that one. <laughs> uh, you definitely had me down as uh, someone who likes to... Uh... Give away a penalty while competing in the air. A bit of an arm pull. Or... Yeah, I was going to say, don't ever talk to Kate Alder. So she was our, our WASP captain for many years and I'd always get the raised eyebrow. <laughs> but it was part of the game. It's the fun part of the game. It's the dark arts. Yeah. Second rows, we know all about that. 100%. How, um, how much time did you spend when you were at like WASP and stuff like that? How much time would you spend working on like uh the sort of the mental side to the game like the you know you know you could argue that you know some of the that perhaps you know the red roses could have done with a bit more looking around like the mental side of the game of uh on, on saturday did you spend a lot of time looking at stuff like that or was it very much just get out on the pitch and yeah i mean very quickly that you know in relation to the red roses what is phenomenal they they did employ um, a sports psychologist sort of pre and, and during so they've really started emphasizing that support in place I think personally going if I was reflecting when I used to play imagery was not my go-to okay so I'd always especially in the morning of a game that's when I like be you know visualizing trying to use those sort of five senses to look at patterns to look at um, movements because that was one of the roles I had in terms of sort of calling the line out and that had such an impact in terms of kind of focus and, and confidence before going into whatever fixture it was and I think the really important thing in terms of, sort of pre-performance routines, we're all very different. We're all wired in completely different ways, especially rugby players. So sometimes the most extroverted, loud, out there characters need downtime before playing. And the exciting part, especially when it comes to sports psychology, is finding out what actually works for you because it is not one size fits all at all. Mm. Um, and there's, you know, in the build-up, do you need certain techniques which are going to start activating you sort of increasing those arousal motivation levels or do you actually need to like relax because it's it's absolutely that that creme de la creme of almost sort of tipping over the edge Mm. uh i knew that i had to actually i was quite quiet before because i needed to focus on my music i needed to focus on what i did um and that's probably the quietest i'd ever be (laughs) (laughs) Um, but i learned that through kind of trial trial and error really um and you know it, we've spoken a little bit about sort of me- metaphors and looking at things in a slightly different way what's the thing which drives your performance it's this yeah, yeah. you know it's it's your mind without your mind your body is not going to move is yeah. it that's that's the thing which is driving the car mm. so investing in that developing those skills and and abilities is only going to make that car drive faster or more powerful so within your rugby career then 
learning how to channel yourself or get yourself ready for games is that is that giving you ability to help other athletes when they're looking to because i've got two sons both so different and they both both approach their sports in in completely different ways and they're starting i think to understand what helps them and what supports them but it's certainly been a journey that that they've been on sounds like exactly the same journey that you've been on but now in in your position how can you help others find what they need at the beginning beginning of a game or before a game or before a, a whatever sport they're in i think you know in relation to my approach to support and that's different for every sports psychologist or, or training sports psychologist we all have strengths and we all have resources but actually tapping into them and finding the time to already harness and utilize them i think is really important because when it comes to any form of support we all want to feel empowered mm. don't we we all want to play an active role in our progression if that's with our health if that's with our performance and so i my kind of a lens should i say or my sort of philosophy to support is being quite non-directive so i might suggest things that might be a little bit more directive but actually i want to support you in being able to identify what you're already using and develop that mm. develop that further because we live in such a fast-paced life yes. that actually when do we stop and pause and reflect and identify these things and then that's when we can start to bring in this focus of you know if you invest in this it's only going to have benefits for you, for your performance on the rugby pitch and well-being absolutely so away from the rugby pitch what do you hope people get from rugby now you've trans transitioned from rugby into your career and i and i know what i get from rugby in in my career and jay and i have spoken about this a lot but what do you hope that people get from rugby that helps them in their personal lives and their professional lives well there's so many things to answer that hasn't it <laughs> I, start. But I think first and foremost it's learning how to communicate and interact with others for a, a common, you know, purpose, a common, a, um, a common goal, should I say? I think that's a real skill to be able to do that effectively, and that massively translates to life, doesn't it? You know, whether that's at work, if that's at school, learning how to interact with others. Um, but it helps, I guess, moving forwards also in terms of your mindset, which I know we sort of touched upon in our conversation, and and how you can translate that within sport into day-to-day living you know when it comes to rugby especially there are going to be setbacks that is going to be challenges but how how do you look at that mm. you know we've we, we know there's obviously a lot of discussion about sort of fixed growth mindset mm. we don't have either or we actually have both but we just tend to favor one over the other and and with mindset the exciting part is it's not set <laughs> it's not fixed and it's something which can can grow, develop, and change with a willingness and understanding, you know, how how to do so. And I think, I guess, the biggest sort of lesson learned from rugby to outside is how we deal with challenge, mm. because that is within within rugby. You know, how are we going to deal with these pressures? Both physically and mentally. You know, touch upon injury. We we've spoken about how to sort of, you know communicate with coaches and, and teammates but at the end of the day we're all humans mm -hmm. 
So all of those behaviours, thoughts, emotions, we can learn to hopefully sort of manage effectively in and out sport. I talk to a lot of people um, uh, and try to help them understand the same as, as rugby. Rugby doesn't get easier, but you can get better at it. Mm-hmm. You can learn to cope with it better. You can learn mm-hmm. to, to get through better. And all of a sudden, you can be achieving in it. And, and the same with life. Life's pretty tough. You know, mm-hmm. Some people think that they've got it easy, but actually it's got a tendency of coming in and you know, knocking your back 20 feet without you even realizing it and and life you can it's not going to get easier but you can get better at it with like you say with the right skills help support um and and i think also to to touch on on the point you were saying there influence from other people that that you're on the the right team with can naturally because people that you admire uh, admirations about uh, wanting to emulate people you see somebody you admire you want to be like that person so if you hang around with that person or if you're on that team or if you if you spend time with you're gonna start to develop in a way um that that the bits that you like about them uh, and i think as well with rugby like you like you were saying um there's always going to be times where you just with your rehab um there's a couple of people there that really helped you through. Maybe they didn't even know that they helped you that much, but they really helped you through just from, from being there and understanding. You know, you're, you're, you're a product of the people you spend the most time with, don't you? And that's why it's, you know, you know, I look, you know, I work with, you know, offenders that, you know, aren't bad people, but have hung around with bad people and have been influenced by bad people and have ended up, you know, in, in society's mind, having a, you know, they think they are bad people. And then because other people think it, they think they are. Mm. And, and that's a, that's a big thing that we've been, you know, working with is that you need to choose very carefully who you spend your time with and you need to choose very carefully who you interact with because you are a product of your environment. And that's something that recently, you know, I've become very, very, you know, very interested in is actually without realizing it, how much, you know, you, you influence other people by spending, you know, time with them and stuff like that. And that's why, in my opinion, coming down to like someone like a rugby club is so much better than anywhere else because you're around decent, decent people that are all of, you know, of a, a very, you know, very pro-social sort of mind, a very like get out there, communicate with the people, talk about things when it gets, you know, difficult. You're going out, you're doing a very physical demanding sport and, it, it's something like that. And it's that big thing that I look at. And there's so many, so many great people, not necessarily players. You know, you look at someone like Smacks, who, you know, who, you know, has had a massive, massive impact on me as a person and also lots of other people as well. The blokes never played a minute of rugby, but the sport attracts those sort of people mm-hmm. because it's sort of like a hub for everybody. So, you know, it's a big, you know, you know, it's one of the big things that we do at the charity, Alex, as you know, is that, you know, we want to get lads into rugby clubs and stuff because, they're going to be automatically straight away around decent people that are going to really massively, massively help them. And it's that psychological side of it of like you were saying then James, you know, if you admire somebody and you think that's a really good way, the more time you spend with them, chances are their habits are going to rub off on you. You're going to end up like that, which is a really, really positive thing. Yeah. And you mentioned something just then Jay, about the fact of, you know, being able to identify what's important to you as a person and who you should be surrounding yourself with. And, and, and by 
And you maybe think about how rugby really helps instill the value of values, pun intended, (laughs) within people and understanding it and understanding how actually, you know, aligning with those values, which we know in rugby there are, the RFU got their own values, each lot of rugby clubs have got values. The impact that can have and actually then living a life, you know, in in alignment with those. And, you know, we, we talk about purpose and we talk about meaning, but actually in order to be able to connect that and understand what that is for you, knowing what those values for you, what's important to you is is really helpful. I like that. Yeah. Um, just while I think about it, because you mentioned Smacks, Smacks being still the greatest first guest we've ever had on the show, uh, is now a granddad. So congratulations to Smacks. Um, uh, he'll be pleased we mentioned him on the podcast yeah, anyway. 100%. Um, and thank you again, Smacks, for opening up for us so that we can record the podcast here at uh, at Wimborne. Um, but yeah, moving on, what would you say, uh, and, and, and this is a, a pretty broad question, which we, we kind of probably covered anyway, um, but what have you learned specifically from rugby that you use most of all today in your daily day, in your daily life? I, uh, I heard a saying the other day, which I think massively resonated. And I think looking back at rugby and maybe how I played and how what my mindset was and bring it to is just dogged determination. Mm. I think if I'm honest, that's that's how I wanted to play. And that is then sort of translated across to the training with with the achieving mind and, and sort of work, which you know Jay, you and me have been doing. And actually, it's that dogged determination because it's something I'm very, very passionate and re- is really important to me. I love that. We've had um, other answers very, very similar to that. Uh, yes. Never never say die. Um, it's not over till it's over. All, all those sort of things. Yeah. You know, look at look at the, you know, England uh, at the World Cup just on the weekend. You know, they just kept going and and they can hold their head up high because of that dogged determination. Mm. If they'd have given up five minutes beforehand because they, you know, they were behind and just mm. couldn't see that they were going to beat the black ferns, then, then that's different. But yeah, that's a great thing to take from rugby and, and use every day. I like that. Thank you for that. I think um, mindful of the time, probably mm. think about wrapping it up, yeah. but um, thank you ever so much, Alex. It's been real joy to have you on board uh, on the podcast and um just to call down just to to go over the things that that's really sort of struck me through our our conversation is again you know very early on in our conversation you went back to this idea of family and and rugby being a a family um and and a lighthouse we talked to to many guests that have said you know when they've been in dark times it's the rugby club that's got them up yeah. every morning. And, and, you know, I was just having a conversation just before this podcast about exactly the same thing. You know, this rugby club gets people up and, yeah. and gets people going again. Um, yeah, no, I, I love that. Alex, obviously, you know, met you, you know, a while ago now in the, you know, when you came in and delivered to some of the guys in the prison and stuff like that. And obviously straight away it was, need to get Alex on a podcast, have a sort of, you know, chat about this sort of stuff. And it has been 
amazing chatting to you because you know you know obviously we've worked together a couple of times now and it's you know we don't always get a chance to actually actually proper catch up and yeah. it's good to find out a bit more about you and you know it just I think your your values as a person and the, all the good work you've done is just just incredible and you know really really excited about seeing what you're going to do next to be honest with you oh well thanks very much for having me on guys I've loved it it's been wicked and can you just remind us um where people can find you if they're looking for your support as teams or individual athletes sure so the website is www.theachievingmind.co.uk and then on instagram it's the achieving minds and the same on twitter fantastic i urge anybody that's after some some support Mm. club individually age doesn't matter whatever you're doing um get in touch with alex um uh, it's real beneficial and, and and like you said alex so many clubs and sports now are starting to realize the the importance like you said about dan carter you know mm. years ago it was you know why are you going to see the sports psychologist and now it's why are you not going yeah, to see yeah, yeah, the sports psychologist yeah. uh, um both my sons are you know big into it my daniel's actually wants to go to um exeter um next year and do psychology with sports and exercise science Oh, cool. uh, and my eldest is at Hartbury doing sports and exercise science at the moment, but he's he's a goalkeeper of football. We won't talk about him anyway. So weird, <laughs> weird at the best of times. <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank you ever so much. Um, again, everybody, if you like what we do, please like, follow, share, tell people about what we're doing. Um, but until next time, be more rugby. Thank you again, Jay. Thanks, James. Thank you, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Been a pleasure.